so after concluding the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, and inshallah ta'ala we'll, we'll deal with the homework inshallah maybe towards the end because I want to, to make a start on this next part inshallah. We're going to continue with the tafsir of the last part of the Qur'an, that is Juzu Amma. And we're going to start from the reverse. And that's because we're going to start with a small, easy to understand uh, surahs before we move on to the ones that are longer and more complicated, insha'Allah ta'ala. And we're going to start with the last page but rather than start from Surah Al-Nas, I'm going to start from Surah Al-Ikhlas because the last three surahs of the Qur'an come together in a whole, as a whole anyway. And there are so many times where we use all three of them together that it makes sense for us to start with Surah Al-Ikhlas and then Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas and then to go backwards through the different surahs until we reach uh, the apportioned amount for the course. So we start with Suratul Ikhlas. And we're going to try and start in a similar kind of way by looking at the names of the surah, looking at the Sabab Nuzul, the reason that the surah was revealed, and looking at some of the virtues of the surah because these are surahs that there are virtues for. There are authentic virtues reported about them. And then we're going to look at the words, whether we understand them, and then we're going to take some of the issues from that. Uh, I'm conscious that we don't have time to go into as much detail as we might like, but we're going to try to, inshallah, cover the most important parts. Suratul Ikhlas which since there are 114 surahs in the Qur'an, is number 112. As for its different names, it is most commonly, of course, known as Suratul Ikhlas. And there are two reasons why it has the name Suratul Ikhlas. Ikhlas in Arabic means sincerity. It means sincerity or it can mean purity or singling something out. Sincerity or purity, something being khalis, totally pure. And singling something out. From the reasons why Surah Al-Ikhlas 
is called Surah Al-Ikhlas, we're going to give two reasons. Number one, because the topic of the Surah is Ikhlas, i.e. it is dedicating the religion to Allah Azza wa Jal alone. That is the topic of the Surah. Dedicating the religion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So the topic of the surah is ikhlas. But there's another reason, and that is that the word ikhlas can be to single out or for something to be pure. And surah al-ikhlas is purely about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's singled out. Ukhlisat. It has been singled out for the purpose of describing to you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't have any stories in, it doesn't have any rulings, any other rulings in, like rulings relating to zakah or rulings relating to prayer. It has been singled out purely for the purpose of explaining and describing Allah to you. From the names that it also has, is that it is known by the, by the beginning of the ayah. So it is known as the surah, surah, Qul Allahu Ahad. It is known as by the name of Qul Allahu Ahad. And it's also known as, and I'm going to read this so that I get it right. Al Wahid, it's known as Allahu Al Wahid Al Samad. And this is found in an authentic hadith. In Sahih al-Bukhari from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to his companions, أَيَعْجِزُ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَقْرَأَ ثُلُثَ الْقُرْآنِ فِي لَيْلَةِ He said, are any of you unable, are any of you struggling to read one third of the Qur'an every single night? That was hard for the Sahaba to imagine how a person every night can finish what we now would say 200 pages of the Mus'haf. They said, this is hard. And the way the Prophet ﷺ asked it is, he asked it in a way that it's simple. Is any of you unable? Is any of you who can't read 200 pages a night? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone can't read 200 pages in a night? So, they started to think, this is, hold on, we must be missing something. How, who can read 200 pages, a third of the Qur'an in a night? Which of us is able to do this, O Messenger of Allah? The Prophet said, Allahu al-Wahid al-Samad, Suluthul Qur'an. Allah al-Wahid al-Samad is a third of the Qur'an. 
Allahul Wahidul Samad is another way of alluding to or expressing or um, pointing to Qulhu Allahu Ahad or Surah Al Ikhlas. So another name or another way of talking about the Surah is to say that it is the Surah Allah Al Wahid Al Samad. Now the interesting thing here, apart from that huge virtue of, of Surah Al-Ikhlas, that it equates to, the third of the, to a third of the Qur'an, is to note that the word Ikhlas doesn't come anywhere in the Surah, in any form, not in any of the verb, the noun, nothing. It doesn't come anywhere in the Surah. So that shows you that some of the names of the, of the Surahs of the Qur'an not all of them are names where the word comes in the surah, even though that is the probably the majority, or almost definitely the majority. That the majority of the names of the surah, of course, they are words that come in the surah itself. Sometimes the surah is named for the beginning word or words, and sometimes it is named for the primary theme or one of the words that makes it different from the other surahs. For example, Surah Al-Baqarah. Al-Baqarah is not the primary theme of the surah, right? The main topic of the surah is not about the calf. The calf is a small part. But when you say Surah Al-Baqarah, there's no other surah comes to mind apart from Alif Lam Mim Thalik Al-Kitab La Raiba Fi Hudan Lil-Muttaqeen. Nothing else it distinguishes the surah. Oh, Surah Al-Baqarah, the one that mentions, and so on. And of course, some of these names came from the Prophet ﷺ, like Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran, and like we have here, uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas, or Surah Allah Al-Wahid, Al-Samad. And others are you can say uh, things that were commonly agreed among the, the scholars or that the surah became famous for that name. And many surahs have more than one name. Many, many surahs have more than, more than one name that they are known by. So here we've covered uh, that point also. Why is Surah Al-Ikhlas a third of the Qur'an? Why is it a third of the Qur'an? There are many different answers to this, but broadly speaking, I'm just going to give you one simple answer. That if we look at the topics of the Qur'an, generally speaking, sort of a bird's eye view of the Qur'an, then generally speaking, the Qur'an comes into three there are three major things that are mentioned in the Qur'an. The first is Allah and His names and His attributes. No doubt this is a huge portion of the Qur'an. Almost every ayah of the Qur'an has something from Allah's names and attributes, a description about Allah in it. So there's no doubt that that is in terms of major topics of the Qur'an, that is one of the three major topics of the Qur'an. The second major topic of the Qur'an is the halal and the haram, the rules and the 
the laws of Islam, what's allowed and what's not allowed, the commands and the prohibitions, do this and don't do that. And the third of the general topics of the Quran is the stories and the things that are narrated from the previous nations and from the prophets والسلام, So if we look at the Quran like that, then Qul Huwallahu Ahad, which is dedicated to describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, represents a third of the Quran in that sense. It represents a third of the Quran in that sense. And also what we have to say when we talk about this hadith, about Qul Huwallahu Ahad being a third of the Quran, is we have to remind ourselves of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam La tahqiranna min al-ma'roofi shay'a Don't look down on any good deed Never ever think that there is a good deed that is too small to do SubhanAllah, one of us says Qul huwa Allahu ahad Allahu samad لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد and he has the reward of reading a third of the Quran and that shows you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his generosity gives huge rewards for very very small things now that doesn't mean that the person who read, let's say from, let's say from Surah Al-Fatiha until Surah At-Tawbah, that doesn't mean that that was equal to the one who said Qul Allahu Ahad. This is in the base reward, but otherwise how many extra benefits are there? How many extra letters are recited? How many extra words are recited? How many extra benefits? How many extra things that make you think how many times you are, take admonition. There are so many more benefits to reading the Qur'an in full than just reading Qul Allahu Ahad. But reading Qul Allahu Ahad shows you the virtue of knowing Allah's names and attributes. And that Allah's names and attributes represent a third of what was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Qur'an. We're going to talk later, inshaAllah ta'ala, about how this surah comes along in a daily basis because it comes along with Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. Does it have a sabab nuzul? Does it have a cause for revelation? It is mentioned in some of the ahadith that the mushrikeen said to the Prophet Sif Lana Rabbak, describe your Lord to us. Describe your Lord to us. And you know that they used to be stubborn with the Prophet. When the Prophet would speak to them about Ar Rahman. They said, who is Ar-Rahman? Did they say that genuinely because they didn't know who Ar-Rahman was? Or did they say that because they were being stubborn and they were being awkward? That's why they said it. They were being stubborn 
and awkward. Stubborn and awkward. That's why they were. They knew who Ar-Rahman was, but they wanted to make trouble for the Prophet So they said, we don't know Ar-Rahman except the Rahman of Yamama, meaning Musaylama Al-Kadhab. This is the Rahman that we know. We don't know any. Who is your Rahman? We don't know. They were making trouble and being awkward. And part of the trouble that they made is that they would ask, you know, okay, so who is your Lord then? You know, we have, we have our, you know, idols and so on and so forth. Sif lana rabbak, describe your Lord to us. And it said that this was the cause of Allah to reveal who Allahu ahad. Say, He is Allah who is Al Ahad, He is one. This word kul, when it comes in the Quran, kul is in the singular form. It means say. But so we understand it means say when you're talking about one single person. So I can't say to all of you people sitting here today, kul. I would have to say kulu. I can't say kul. Kul is just to one person. So here we have two questions to ask ourselves. The easy question is this word kul part of the Quran? And the easy answer to that is by the consensus of the scholars, with, about which there is no doubt, the word kul is a part of the revelation that was revealed to Muhammad and it's not an instruction that is to be disregarded. It's not like Jibreel came and said, Qul ahad. It's not like that. Rather, the Prophet was commanded to recite the entire thing, Qul ahad, and not that the Qul it just, is just like a, what Jibreel said to him. The Qul is from the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah Azza wa Jal commanded the Prophet ﷺ to recite. This has a benefit, which is that the amana of the Prophet ﷺ in relaying every single thing that was revealed to him from Allah. Not even the word qul was left out. Every single thing was revealed, every letter, every single ayah, the way that it was given to him, he ﷺ passed it on. Al-Balaghul Mubin, the most clear transmission, the most clear conveying of the message. That this entire message was passed on even the word Qul. But this word Qul, who is it addressed to? Is it addressed to the Prophet ﷺ or is it addressed to someone else? The Apparent, when you look at it, apparently it would be addressed to the Prophet ﷺ. That's al-dahir, because he is the one who the Quran or whom the Quran is revealed to, and in it it says to one single man, "Qul." So it would make sense to say that that person is the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. However, this answer is deficient. It's not, it's, not complete, it's not the complete picture. 
And that's for a number of reasons. First of all, these things that begin Qul are not from the, usually speaking, from the Khasa'is of the Prophet The Khasa'is are the things that are uniquely for him, just for him, nobody else. They are generally instructions to all of the Muslims. And sometimes they are instructions that are definitely not for the Prophet for example, in Surah Al-Isra, <coughs> If one or two, one or both of your parents reaches old age, then do not call, do not say, Uf. Here, neither of the Parents of the Prophet ﷺ reached old age. So here, we have to have an answer that is more generic. Some of the scholars said the word Qul is not addressed to any one person, but it's addressed to every reader of the Qur'an for whom the ayah applies, or to whom the ayah applies. That is one Qawl. Some of the scholars, they said, it is addressed to every person who is reciting the Qur'an to whom this next part applies. However, there are times when it's clearly addressed to the Prophet also. So perhaps the one that I am most comfortable with is to say that it was for the Prophet ﷺ first of all and then for his ummah after him. It was for him first of all and then for his ummah after him. Unless there is a specific reason not to apply that rule. There could be two specific reasons. It could be something that doesn't apply to the Prophet ﷺ. Therefore, we say it applies to the reciter of the Qur'an after him, whoever is reciting the Qur'an. Or the other way around, it could be something only for the Prophet ﷺ, that's not for anybody else. In which case, we say that it's only for him. But in general, generally speaking, the word Qul is for the Prophet ﷺ and for his Ummah after him. So we could have three situations. We could have it for everybody, and that is the most common. That Qul is for the Prophet and for everyone who recites the Qur'an after him. Or it could be only for him if it's one of his khasais, one of his unique qualities that was only for him. And we have to have an evidence for that, usually speaking. The general position is that commands are for everybody, unless you have a very specific evidence that says, this is only for the Prophet Or it could be that it applies to the Ummah and it doesn't apply to him, but this is a rarity. And in all honesty, you can also, you, you can also understand that in a different way. The ayah in Surah Al-Isra, about your parents. It doesn't say, say to your parents. 
or don't say to your parents. It says, if they are old, then don't say. And it's very simple to say. This applies to the Prophet wasallam, but simply the, the second part doesn't it? If they, if they reach old age, one of them or both of them. So this if, this conditional statement, if, if they reach old age, then there is no problem here. Because in the first place, it's not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say, say to your mom, say to your dad. He said, if they reach old age, then do not say. So here there is no problem saying that it applies or it doesn't apply to the Prophet So in general, we say that all of the commands in the Quran apply to everybody. They apply to the Prophet and to his ummah after him. Unless there is a specific evidence to limit it to the Prophet وسلم, or the other way around. Qul huwallahu ahad. Say, say, he is Allah. He is Allah. Ahad. So this gives us two of the names of Allah. As for huwa, it's not a name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Huwa is a pronoun, he is. Sometimes people made this as a false name of Allah. They said that one of Allah's names is Al-Huwa or Huwa. And this doesn't make any sense. In linguistically, in Arabic, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in terms of the meaning. Rather, Huwa here is he. He. And we always refer to Allah the way Allah referred to Himself, right? So Allah referred to Himself as Huwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like His creation. So we don't uh, yani say that Allah Azza wa Jal is male because being male is a characteristic of creation, not the characteristic of the Creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is separate from his creation. However, we use the male form of the verbs and words and pronouns to refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's clear that that is the appropriate way to refer to Allah. It's not right to refer to Allah as she. That would be wrong. As would it be wrong to refer to Allah as it in English. Rather, we have to refer to Allah as he, because that's what Allah said about Himself, and Allah knows better how to speak about Himself in the way that is most befitting for His Majesty. And also, the word He is a generic word. You don't necessarily understand gender from it. But the word She is very rare that it's used for anything other than a female, right? So, the word we always refer to Allah as He, as He. But that doesn't mean that Allah is a man because Allah is different from his creation and, and separate from his creation and has none of the, the, is not similar or comparable to his creation in any way at all. Qul hu Allah, he is Allah. We said that Allah, we've explained what this name means in Surah Al-Fatiha. So we're going to deal with Ahad. One of Allah's names is Al-Ahad. Al-Ahad, that's one of Allah's names, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Ahad. And closely related to it is his name, Al-Wahid. So as for his name, 
Al-Ahad, it indicates his uniqueness. And sometimes people might ask, what's the difference between Al-Wahid and Al-Ahad? Since they both come from the same core meaning. But you remember when we said Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, both come from Rahma, but they have a different meaning. Al-Wahid and Al-Ahad both come from this Wow and Ha and Dal, but they also have a slightly different meaning. I believe that the best way to explain it is to say that Al-Wahid focuses more on the number, that Allah is Wahid, He is one. And the emphasis is on the, on the number. Al-Ahad refers to Allah being one, but the emphasis is being unique. The emphasis is being unique. So Al-Wahid has a little bit more emphasis on the number, the number one, that Allah is Wahid. He's not two, he's not three, he's not thalith or thalatha, the three of the third of the, the third of three, like the Christians say, the Trinity. He is Ahad. He is Wahid and he is Ahad. Wahid gives a little more emphasis on the number and Ahad gives a little bit more emphasis on being unique. But in reality, both of them go or revolve around the meaning of being one. So here we might want to say one and unique or uniquely one or something like that. It's difficult because Arabic has beautiful small words that we can use and in English we need to bring a whole sentence. But roughly speaking, uniquely one or the one that is one in, in, his, in his uniqueness. So it indicates uniqueness and oneness. Meaning that he is unique in possessing the attributes of glory and majesty, greatness, grandeur, in beauty. Nobody has the names and attributes that Allah has. And so the first thing that Surah Al-Ikhlas tells us is there is no one and nothing that has the names and attributes of Allah. And that is why when they say that who is Ar-Rahman and they said that we don't know Ar-Rahman except the Rahman of Yamama and all of these evil statements that these people made and all of the statements of the Christians when the Christians said Inna Allah thalatha, Allah is the third one out of three out of a trinity or when the Jews said that Uzair is the son of Allah and the Christians said that Jesus or Isa alayhim salam is the son of Allah. All of this is refuted. The belief of the mushrikeen, the belief of Ahl Kitab, every other religion besides Islam is just cancelled out in one statement. Because there is no other religion on the face of this earth. Wallahi, thumma tallahi, there is no religion on the face of this earth that implements Qul Allahu Ahad except Islam. Yes, some of the religions are closer than others, definitely. But no religion truly implements Qul Allahu Ahad except Islam. Say that Allah is one, Allah is unique. 
He is one in his lordship. He is one in our worship of him. And he is one in his names and his attributes. And this gathers together all of the types of Tawheed because Allah and the word Tawheed comes from Ahad, right? The word Tawheed is taken from Ahad. Tawheed is your declaring or singling out Allah as Ahad. When you practice and you say and you believe and you implement that Allah is Ahad, we call this Tawheed. Because Tawheed is to declare something to be one. That's what the word Tawheed means. To declare something to be one. So when you say Allah is Ahad, you are declaring Allah to be one. And this is Tawheed. One in what? One in His Lordship and His worship and His names and His attributes. Say that Allah is one. That Allah is one. Ahad. Allahu Samad. Allah is a Samad. So now we have a different name of Allah Azza wa Jal, and that is the name as Samad. I'm going to relate to you from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, and this is narrated by Ibn Jarir al-Tabari in his tafsir. He said, As-Samad, the master who is complete in his mastery, the noble one who is complete in his nobility, the great one who is complete in his greatness, the forbearing who is complete in his forbearance, the one who is rich and free of need, complete in his richness, the compeller who is complete in his mightiness, the knowledgeable one who is complete in his knowledge, the all-wise who is complete in his wisdom. He is the one who is complete in all aspects of nobility and mastery. And he is Allah, exalted in his perfection. As-Samad is his attribute and it does not belong to anyone except him. And that's the end of the quote from Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, quoting from the noble companion Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. So it relates to supremacy, mastery, and nobility, and it narrates to being rich and f- it relates to being rich and free of need. So we've understood that the word samad indicates mastery, a sayyid, the one who is the master of everything, and it indicates. Nobility and it indicates being rich and free of needing anything. That's why sometimes in English they wrote the self-sufficient master or they wrote different, uh, different translations. But what's interesting here is what do you see about the name As-Samad? You see that there really isn't a single English word or phrase which gathers together all of the meanings of a summit. It's one of the comprehensive names of Allah And it's mentioned within the hadith on Allah's, or one of the hadith on Allah's greatest name. Because it's narrated that one of the people when they made dua, 
they asked Allah and they mentioned that Allah is Al-Ahad As-Samad Al-Ladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuan ahad Al-Mannan Zul-Jalali wal-Ikram to the end of the hadith This actually strengthens the opinion that Allah's greatest name is not one name but it's actually all of those names that are comprehensive in nature. So as-samad, you just can't put a word on it. There isn't a word that you can put on it. Maybe self-sufficient master is, is a good effort. Well, MashaAllah, it's a very good effort. But it doesn't even come, it doesn't even cover 10% of what Abdullah ibn Abbas said. The master who is completing his mastery, the noble one completing his nobility, the great one completing his greatness, the forbearing completing his forbearance, the rich and free of need completing his richness, the compeller completing his mightiness, the knowledgeable one completing his knowledge, the all-wise completing his wisdom. He is the one who is completing all aspects of nobility and mastery. Allah exalted in perfection. The self-sufficient master just is a few small percentage, a tiny fraction of what Abdullah ibn Abbas said. So we see that this is a name that has comprehensive and detailed explanation, or has a comprehensive and detailed explanation uh, to it. One of the things we see from this is Allah's supremacy over his creation. And we also see that Allah is the one that every single thing needs and he doesn't need, he doesn't need anything from his creation. Allah Azza wa doesn't need his arsh to rise above. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala doesn't need the arsh. The arsh needs Allah, but Allah doesn't need the arsh. Allah doesn't need Hamalatul Arsh, the angels that carry the throne. Allah doesn't need them to carry the throne, but they need Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need his prophets and messengers to convey the message to the people, but they need him. Every single thing from Allah's creation needs Allah. But Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't need any of his creation. Qul Allahu ahad, Allahu samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys and declares his perfection. He destroys this evil statement that was made by so many different people. And don't just think of the Christians. The Christians are the most famous of those who said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a son. But in reality, there are many other groups who fell into this to whom we say to them, Lam wa lam yulad. From them are the Jews who said that Uzair is the son of Allah. It seems to me, and Allah knows best, and not all of the Jews said this, but this was a group of the Jews, or it was the group that was predominant in the time of the Prophet Because when we see, what we see from them is we don't see that it is a common belief in all um, subgroups or sects of Judaism, but definitely there was a group, at least a group, and at one time it was the predominant group because Allah said, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودِ The Jews say, 
So it was a predominant group at one time who said that Uzair was the son of Allah. The mushrikun, the polytheists, they said that the angels were the daughters of Allah. And if we talk about philosophers and we talk about atheists and all who talk about, you know, uh, if God created everything, who created God? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered all of these people. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Lam yalid, meaning that Allah Azza wa Jal does not have any offspring, male, female, human, angel, or any other. Allah Azza wa Jal does not have any offspring. Sometimes you read in English, he does not begot nor is he begotten, but it's a little bit difficult to understand what that means. Lam yalid means that Allah has not produced or created any offspring, i.e. a son, a daughter, or any other any offspring. And it's not befitting for Allah. وَمَا يَنْبَغِي لِلرَّحْمَانِ أَنْ يَتَّخِذَ وَلَدًا It's not befitting for the most merciful to take a son. And that's why people will start to tell you, oh, but you know, if God wanted to, he could have taken a son. What, you know, you are the people who say that God is all-powerful. It's not, if anyone ever says this to you from among the Christians or any other group and they say to you, but you know how it, he could have done it because say to him, وَمَا يَنْبَغِي It's not befitting to the majesty of Allah that he should take a son. It's not right. It's not befitting to the greatness and the supremacy to the oneness of Allah who is Ahad, who is Samad, that he should have a son. Because having a child or a son or offspring, it necessitates need. I want someone to continue my legacy. I want my name to last forever. I want to have, you know, children and children's children so that they can, you know, they can be my dhurriya, my offspring. How can you reconcile that with Al-Ahad As-Samad? And look at how the ayat link to each other. One ayah links to the other, ayah links to the other ayah. Allah is Al-Ahad, Allah is As-Samad. How can he possibly have a son or a daughter or a child or offspring of any kind? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this statement that they said, when they said that Allah has a son, it is a huge statement of a huge evil. Like Allah Azza wa Jal said, تَكَادُ السَّمَاوَاتُ يَتَفَطَّرْنَ مِنْهُ وَتَنْشَقُّ الْأَرْضُ وَتَخِرُّ الْجِبَالُ هَدَّا لِلرَّحْمَانِ وَلَدًا That the earth, the heavens, almost were ripped apart and the earth was almost broken up and the mountains were almost made asunder, made into nothing, destroyed into dust because they said that Allah took a son. And it's not befitting for the most merciful to have taken a son.
But not only did Allah not take a son or a daughter or offspring, but Allah was not born. Allah does not have a father or a mother or a source or an origin or a moment where he came into existence. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Hayy, the ever-living that has always been. And he is Al-Awwal wal-Akhir wal-Dahir wal-Batin. Al-Awwal, the first. Nothing came before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal has always been. Wal-Akhir, the last. And he always will be. Wal-Dahir, the highest. Wal-Batin, the closest. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not had any children, any sons or any daughters. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not born. He is not the son or daughter of anyone or anything. Nor does he have a source or an origin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been and will always be. And he has always been in his state of perfection. He didn't grow or develop. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always had his perfect names and attributes. This religion of ours is a religion that is totally easy to understand and totally natural. That Allah Azza wa Jal existed before his creation. He never came into being. There wasn't a moment where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came into being. As soon as you think of Allah coming into being, you're applying the laws of this universe, of this creation to Allah. And that is ultimately where people who said wrong things about Allah, where they went wrong. They applied what they know about Allah to the normal laws of the universe. And effectively, when you look at, for example, Christianity, and I know I'm bound to get in trouble because I keep on talking about other religions in terms of, not from the Muslims, but from the, the Christians and the, and the other religions. But if you look at it, God is humanized. You know, God is an old man with a white beard who sits on a chair in heaven looking down at his creation. Ta'ala Allah amma yaquluna uluwan kabira. High is Allah above the evil that they attribute to him. Look at how Islam describes Allah. Kulhu Allahu ahad. Allah is one. Allah is a samad, the one that is completely free of need, completely separate from his creation. No children, no source. He was never born. He never came into being. It destroys that picture of an old man with a long white beard pointing down with a stick from heaven. They said this when they compared Allah Jalla fi ula to his creation. That's how they ended up with those pictures. That's how they ended up with this tasawwur, this imagery. Because they compared Allah Jalla fi ula to his creation. They compared Allah to a human being. And everything they say about God is said in comparison to a human being. And that's the only way these other religions understand God. Is either they describe him with nothing or either they describe him with humanity. That's the reality. Pick any religion in the world. Take a religion, pick another religion, put a pin in it. Look at how they describe God. 
They either describe God with nothingness, and that can be things like, you know, that it's just a nature, or it's just, you know, it's just a, a nothingness, yani. Or they describe Allah Azza wa Jal with the characteristics of His creation. Only Islam breaks that rule and describes Allah the way that He described Himself with names and attributes that are unique to Him. Ahad, unique to Him. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدْ And this is the final piece of the puzzle. The final part of the description of Allah That there is nothing that is comparable to Him Subhanahu wa ta'ala There is nothing similar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala There is nothing comparable to Him Al-Imam Al-Sa'di he said La fi asma'ihi wa la fi awsafihi وَلَا فِي أَفْعَالِهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى There is nothing comparable to Allah in His names. There is nothing comparable to Allah in His attributes. There is nothing comparable to Allah in His actions. And when you take this, you have the perfect description of Allah and you have a description that answers the falsehood of every other religion. And honestly, you can try this. Anyone who asks you about the concept of God in Islam, or anyone who talks to you about the concept of God in their religion, you can answer them with قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدْ if you look at what we believe about Allah Azza wa Jal, and I, and I want to conclude with this, and I know I'm going very slowly, but well, I think that it's worth it, inshallah. If you take what we are taught as Muslims about Allah's names and attributes, that we describe Allah as He described Himself, and as his Prophet ﷺ described him, we affirm for Allah what he affirmed for himself and we negate for Allah what he negated from himself, for, for himself or about himself. And likewise, we affirm for Allah what the Prophet ﷺ affirmed about him and we negate, we say it's not true. Whatever the Prophet ﷺ said is not true about Allah, we also say that it's not true about Allah. We don't ask how. We don't compare Allah to His creation. We don't deny the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. So we don't ask how. We don't compare. We don't deny. And we don't twist the meanings away from the meanings that Allah gave them. In all honesty, someone might ask you, where did you get this methodology from? And there are many places in the Quran you could quote. But here, just look at how is a basic description of our the way that we understand Allah's names and attributes. First of all, that we affirm for what Allah affirmed for Himself. Do you need anything more than that to say that we affirm for what we affirm for Allah what He affirmed for Himself? Allah said that He is Ahad, and we are told. 
say Allah is Ahad. Meaning when Allah said that He is one, then you must also say that He is one. So we affirm what Allah affirmed for Himself. And we negate what Allah negated about Himself. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. So we are told when Allah said, Lam yalid wa lam yulad, you must also say, because the qul applies to the whole surah, qul hu Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulad. So whenever Allah said something about Himself that is not true, we also say that it is not true. And we don't deny what Allah said about Himself. We don't say that Allah is not Ahad or Allah is not Samad. We don't deny it. The very word Qul shows that we don't deny it. We don't compare Allah to His creation. We don't ask how. Because Allah is Ahad, He is unique. And there is no way to know something unique, how it happens, unless Allah told you about it. Because you can't see and you can't compare. And if you can't see and you can't compare, then you have no way to know how Allah does something except what Allah told you about Himself. So we don't, and we don't take the meanings away from the meanings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. We don't take it away in Lam Yalid wa Lam Yulad, so we don't take it away in As-Samad and Al-Ahad either. We affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what He affirmed for Himself. We deny about Allah what He denied about Himself. And we do so in a way that preserves the meaning of Allah's names and attributes the way that He told us. And all of that can be found in Qul Hu Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad. لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد. I think one lesson is okay for tafsir of the third of the Quran. Can we go back to Jamiyat Darabir and say Muhammad Tim did made tafsir of a third of the Quran today? So we're on schedule. In reality, we are very very far behind, but we can use this hadith. Allah al-Wahid al-Samad ta'adil al-thulus al-Quran. That this surah. Is equal to a third of the Quran. And that's why there's a lot of discussion about it. Uh, I'm not going to take any longer because we finished our time and we can only make the time that we have. Uh, Inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue with the tafsir. We got the mu'awidatayn, which is uh, inshallah ta'ala, to come. And then we have to link them three, those three together, the mu'awwidat. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. And then we can go inshallah ta'ala on from there. Now I did leave you with some things to think about last time. Why we said about Surah Al-Fatiha, why is it that Surah Al-Fatiha is meant, the, the middle part is in the plural form. You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Guide us to the straight path. Why not make it in the singular form? Because generally as a rule, generally speaking, in dua, the singular form is more humble than the uh, plural form. You know, if you say, oh Allah, guide me, that's more humble and more lowly than oh Allah, guide us, if you mean by us, just one person. 
because obviously that's like the royal we, you know, the, the majestic plural, and you're making yourself look up to be something big. So why in Surah Al-Fatiha is the plural there? What have you found? Give us one and then we'll hear from the other students. And if they don't have another answer that you had, we'll come back as well. Okay, excellent. So this is a really good one. That Surah Al-Fatiha is a rukun of the prayer. It's a pillar of the prayer. And the prayer in general, the obligatory prayers are prayed in the jama'ah. So it's as though you're reading as a jama'ah, as a, as a congregation. And you all say, Ameen together. So you're actually making a congregational dua. So in this way, could we say that it's as if you're making dua for yourself and the people praying in congregation with you, or it's an indication of the importance of praying in congregation. That's one, uh, one point. Yes. Good. So it's between Allah Azza who is one and all of us. So again, this is kind of like as if we are asking on behalf of all of uh, the Muslims or all of the people who are praying with us. And we can expand it to all of the Muslims if we want to. Excellent. So when the Imam is very similar to what uh, Quran said, but also an, an extra point that when the Imam is reciting aloud, it doesn't it doesn't sound right for the Imam to say, for example, "Ihdini, guide me to the Sirat al-Mustaqim," and then everyone to say, "Amin, guide the Imam," but don't don't guide us. Yeah. So that's true. Does anyone have anything else? Because I still have a couple. So the vastness of Allah's mercy and the fact that it we're asking Allah for it to encompass all of the people or all of the all of the Muslims. There are a couple of points. Um, one that is is linked to is particularly with Ihdina Sirat al-Mustaqim, is that the Sirat al-Mustaqim is not something that you are alone on. The Sirat al-Mustaqeem by default, as we said, فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا You have a large group of people on that Sirat. So the Sirat al-Mustaqeem is a Sirat which is a group of people from the prophets and the truthful, the martyrs and the righteous who are traveling together on that path. For this reason, it makes sense to say because the path is not a path for one person. It is a path for the jama'ah. Also tied to that is the importance of the jama'ah in general, including the importance of the jama'ah in our belief. Ahlus sunnati the importance of the body of the Muslims. I want to be guided 
with the body of the Muslims. I want to be guided with the Sahaba and the, with the prophets, the Sahaba and the righteous, the Imams and so on, the scholars. I want to be guided in a jama'ah. Not to be guided to be by myself on my own away from the jama'ah. Because we know that the Prophet said, فَإِنَّ يَدَ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْجَمَاعَةِ وَمَنْ شَدَّ شَدَّ فِي النَّارِ That the hand of Allah is over the jama'ah and whoever breaks away, breaks away into the fire. So it's about the importance of the jama'ah. And it's said that it's a dua for everyone praying with you or that it's a dua for all of the Muslims or that it's an emphasis of the importance of jama'ah and maybe one or two at least others that I probably haven't remembered. But I think we covered the most important ones. But we understand that the meaning here is not the royal we. It's not that you mean me. You don't mean me. If you meant me, then it would be not appropriate to use that language in dua when you're trying to make yourself as low as possible to then say, guide us meaning me. But guide us meaning all of the Muslims or the congregation or indicating how important it is that when you're guided that you're with a congregation of people, you're with a jama'ah of people uh, and that it doesn't mean the, it's not, you're not trying to make yourself um, great or make yourself magnificent, but you're what you're trying to do is you're trying to indicate the importance of that brotherhood and that jama'ah and also making dua on behalf of your brother. Because remember, when you make dua for your brother in their absence, the angel says, Ameen, Ameen, and may you have the same. So you're also making dua for your brothers uh, in their absence. If I can think of any others that didn't come to me right now, inshallah ta'ala, we'll mention them next time, bi'ithnillah. Otherwise, we will stop there. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.